the trouble is if and if, if they, the answer was no they would answer it uh, exactly but then the problem is it's not an easy question to, to no. answer yes or no because if they say yes well if you're heavily dependent on russia for software coding and your whole business is about software coding then how yeah, all of a sudden you're, suddenly pulling replace, the plug. You're, you're pulling the plug on a huge amount of your work and we spoke Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. Weather's still nice, isn't it? If anything, than, even nicer than it was a week ago. This week than it's been nice all week. Been for ages. I know. I've been starting I've, from last weekend. Been risking getting a tan when I take the dog for a walk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's got to a stage where I feel guilty if I don't take a little. We have this little flask of doggy water you can take out. Mm. And it's a clever thing. It's basically a flask with a little mini bowl attached to it, and you just press a button, it fills up, and the dog. Oh, nice. Sort of, and, and then I keep forgetting, and I come home, and the dog's just half an hour in his dog bowl. <laughs> I've only been out all week, though, actually, to be honest. You've hardly been out? Yeah. How come? Until yesterday. I didn't leave the house for three just, days. Just being busy? Well, I did a half marathon on Sunday. Oh, so you did? And Congratulations. I, and I felt really shit what was your time? I bet you fucking did. Oh, it was really bad. I'm not even going to say it. It's half an hour slower than the last time I did it in. Oh, but when was the so last time you did it? The, well, the last time I did one was three years ago. Okay. So you've um, lost half an hour in three years? Yeah, well, I think shameful. things have happened you since then. So <laughs> it's probably a bad day. I mean, I didn't feel like I was getting that much slower, but it was, yeah, it was a slow... I mean, and it was just... But were you trying to push yourself? I mean, I find it hard these days anyway, doing yeah. long runs, but um, there was just like waves of people. You know, you know, you sort of set off in a certain wave, mm. depending on how you think you're going to get on. And I just remember the first eight miles, it just seemed like the whole of London was going past was overtaking me. you. And it's around Hampton Court, <laughs> so it's on these like narrow lanes by the side of the of the river there's not a lot of people to get around and i just i just halfway through i was just thinking i've had enough of this i just don't want to but you'd obviously run, i did do it you'd run yeah. the distance in training prior to that no i don't i'd done sort of 10 or 11 at weekends for a long time so and you sort of think the last 10 or 11 two, it's I'll, 13 yeah, yeah. so you was this the, the last, landmark, two, last two or three landmark marathon hampton court half hampton marathon, half marathon. Yeah. have you ever run so, a full marathon no i don't think i could do that even in your pomp well, when I was yeah, when I was thirty, thirty one, and I was quite quick, I could have done one, but I didn't right. do one then. Right. Um, but I, I probably could have done one. But I did it with um, three mates, and they were all. I mean, by the time I finished, they they're were already on their beer. second pint. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> no, I saw your I like, saw your Facebook post on the matter, and, and then I just and but then I, I felt play, really you, shit running. for like three days. So just uh, physically, yeah, just really tired and yeah. and. Um, yeah, so I just, I, I just, I'm not surprised. All week, I don't think I'm trying to. Th- long, the most I could run without stopping would probably be about a mile. So you're 13 times better than I am. Yeah. Not that you, not that you, you, you not that I'm your marker for you physical up. fitness. <laughs> you can build up to it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I well, we've got a, we've got a cross that, trainer at home now. I'm doing all the. I was well over two speed. hours, I think, timing wise. Right. The quickest I've ever done one's about 140. And, was, and like, when I was and like sort of Kenyans and Ethiopians run the full marathon in about two hours, don't they? When I did a half marathon, yeah. I did two or three. I was over. I was, I was much was over that. Done, I was. Like, it was uh, somewhere around the two fifteen mark, I think. That's good. I did that like five so, years ago. <laughs> two hours, just, and I thought that was like the best I could do. So well, if you did two, I'm obviously in awe of both of you. <laughs> uh, no, I, honestly, when I finished, I was like, so wait, people do this like twice in a row? Yeah, yeah. yeah. this is the thing. It's like if you were, if you were like a sort of fast marathon run I could have been lapped if they were doing the same course again I mean yeah totally it's like what the hell they're going twice as fast yeah, how do you, you do know, that for just sprinting miles? For two hours yeah. Yeah. well you know uh, you're not getting any younger Ian I know, <laughs> I know yeah 
Well, I still think it's an awesome achievement, but this is only my shitty basis for comparison, where I give myself a punt in the back for getting to the top of the stairs. So there we the, go. The best thing about it was afterwards going out to the pub and eating like this huge roast and, and yeah, and had, just had uh, having earned the fuck out of it. So it's probably another reason I felt bad the next day. Right, because <laughs> you'd had half a cow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so well, but it's good to see you feeling all right now, mate. Yeah. We'll go for a run after, eh? Okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, okay, I haven't done that. I have gone on the cross trainer a couple of times. Actually, it was a funny thing. We bought this cross trainer, and I bought some. Uh, I bought a, a weight bench and some dumbbells, and they're quite cool dumbbells, because I didn't want to have loads of dumbbells. We haven't got that much space in the house. Oh, yeah. They're... Didn't want to have loads of them. These are, like, modular. You can mm-hmm. twist on extra weights. So these can range from uh, 7 kilos to 15 kilos. And like 15 kilos is about the maximum I can sort of bicep curl. Yeah. And then there's other things that, you know, not so good. Like it's a bit harder to do those mm. sorts of things. Anyway, and, but I got them a month or two ago. And so I'd stopped going to the gym because I was like, you know, but there was this gap in between stopping going to the gym and starting to use the stuff at home. And so this week, maybe inspired by you, I started doing that at home. So that's why, that's why I look so ripped now. Yeah. Shows. <laughs> we'll have people tuning in and, and watching this episode more than more than yeah. listening to it now. <laughs> oh my god, put your show back on. <laughs> yeah, steady on, Scott. You, you, you've had a couple of days on the cross trainer. That's not t- top off territory. Um, so there we go. Okay, that's enough wittering, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what are we going to chat about this week? We um, we have sort of longer than usual preamble because it's not we've not been overwhelmed with massive news stories this week, but. We've decided that um, both of us have written a little bit about Russia, obviously in the context of all the agro, um, and there's a telecom slash tech angle from both of us on that. So we're going to lead on Russia, and this is like Russia as opposed to Ukraine, but it's all part of the same, yeah, the same mess. Um, and then we're going to talk about T-Mobile US. They had one of those. This is this is what we're thinking type of things. Neville Ray who's like their chief technologist and, and is part of that whole slightly overstated, unsubtle, in-your-face sort of way of delivery they have that, that was sort of pioneered it's, under it's Ledger. It's quite slick. Right. I mean, he's he's obviously, he's a Brit originally, yeah, yeah. isn't he? But he's a, you can tell from his accent, he's but his whole delivery is very sort of all-American now. Yeah. And it's very no. sort of glitzy, that whole presentation. I, I yeah, well, I didn't, Mary covered it yeah. for us, so I didn't watch this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be relying on you largely, yeah. um, but I'll obviously chip in. But you know, fair play. I think Naval. God, I, I think I saw him. I saw him live at Mobile Congress a few years ago. He obviously gets the presentation shtick. Oh yeah, he's really good at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes you're like, all right, Neville, calm down, mate. Anyway, I am. <laughs> um, and then we're going to finish off. I wrote a thing. It's not necessarily a huge story, but I think it, it makes for an interesting conversation. There's a new smartphone brand called Nothing, which is a weird name. It's almost as bad as everything. For a everywhere. thing. Yeah, yeah. It's the opposite of EE. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing nowhere. <laughs> They're called NN. Why well, is nothing a good brand? I mean, it's just... Well, quite. Well, that's part of what we're going to talk about. I was going to say, they have the Twitter at nothing. I don't yeah. know how they got that. <sighs> yeah, maybe that's why. So what's a memorable word that we can get a Twitter of? Mm. And then we'll base For our free. whole brand identity around that. Uh, so we're going to talk about them and, and more broadly, uh, the scope or lack of for innovation in smartphones. Yeah. So that's what we'll do. And just to remind you that if you're watching this on the site or on YouTube or on Facebook, you can also listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and loads of other podcasting platforms. Oh, wait, sorry. I, I need to do the shout of the All oh, right, yeah, go for it, mate. I just realized. Uh, let's I'm going to drink for two minutes. Ooh, interesting. I'll do the podium. Uh, first city is Oslo. Uh-huh. Right. 
and then fo- followed by Columbus, and then Columbia City. Where is that? Columbus and Columbia City. Yes, yeah, separate cities apparently. You'd think Columbia City would be in DC. Columbus Columbia. is in Ohio, is it? No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know where Columbia That's City where is. Well, like, so DC is District of Columbia. So mm. you'd imagine Columbia City is yeah Washington State. There we go. Oh, Washington State. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, so you were okay. somewhat right. <laughs> I was right in the Washington bit, but the wrong side of America. Wow. Fair oh, wait, there's another Columbia. I think. No, wait, wait. There's another Columbia City. I bet there's. A, I bet there's dozens of them in Illinois. I think America's yeah. a bit too obsessed with Christopher Columbus. I think they need to calm it down a little bit. Look, he just got in a boat. And landed somewhere. Let's not blow this out of proportion. Wasn't even there. There's two. There's one in Indiana, yeah. one in Washington. I don't know which one it is. But. Wasn't it Haiti where he landed? Right. Yeah, well, probably initially in the Caribbean somewhere, yeah. Uh, Dominican Republic, I think. Dominican yeah. Republic. Dominican Republic is, is the, is the eastern the side of Hispaniola, so that makes I don't think he ever got to the mainland. That was, that was people after him he got there. Columbus never landed on mainland USA. I don't think so. He discovered the Americas, but he basically spent no, all no, his time. America, America, America Vespucci discovered there the you Americas. Are. Columbus. Columbus. Is that where the name comes from? Yeah. America was yeah, before I, Columbus. Imagine, it could be called Dave. He just messed around in the Caribbean, I think, old Columbus. He got distracted doing salsa and drinking rum. Yeah, spreading disease around. And <laughs> generally, well, generally things wiping, off out, for the wiping out the natives. And he went, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, what is okay. he his coronavirus, he said. Yes. Well, he did kill a lot of natives with the diseases. <laughs> well, quite. Okay. God, I didn't know Columbus on never note. got on mainland USA. I feel so ignorant. Well, and they say really the Vikings probably got there in That's like true. 1100 or something. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Viking. Yeah. When there was icy and they oh, could Le- just walk Leif over. Erickson, wasn't it? Something like that. Leif yeah. Erickson. Just walk yeah. over. Yeah, when it was all icy. From where? From, uh, from across from the Norway. Top. No, going through Greenland. And tell you what, you want, yeah. you want to take a packed lunch for that? through Greenland, like right. the planes fly when they're... Yeah, 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 yeah. So they were hanging out in Greenland anyway, thinking this is a bit shit. They were like, wait, how Why did someone call ice? it Greenland when it's just covered in ice? <laughs> That's the trick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I bet I'll there were some what, people over there? from Siberia the other way, no? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Probably into North All America. Right. Vikings, man, they were hardcore. They didn't, they didn't fuck around. No. Uh, I think I'm part Viking, because both, both sides of my family are from East <laughs> okay. Anglia. Yeah, no, no, I'm not trying to sound hard or anything. But both You've already taken my... your shirt off. <laughs> it's like Scott's really taking this cross-trainer seriously. Uh, they're both parts of my family from East Anglia, and that's where the Vikings used to turn up and get up to their crazy business. Mm. So I'm probably the product of a Viking pillage at some stage in the past. It's like they say a certain percent of Chinese people are from uh, Genghis Khan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, actually a lot. Like of, 5% of something Yeah, crazy. a lot of the world. He, he's, yeah. he's a busy boy. All right. Anyway, that's quite enough tangential bullshit. Um, and on to the the sober topic of Russia. Mm. We're not gonna we're not gonna dwell on the the actual war and, and all that stuff. But you know, as we covered, <coughs> it's either last week or the week before. Um, the, uh, the 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 geopolitical consensus on Russia that everything Russian is now bad. Mm. I mean, obviously it was there a little bit ever since the end of the Second World War, Cold War and all that sort of thing, but it's definitely come back with renewed vigour since they invaded Ukraine, has, has had knock-on effects for business because we've got all these sanctions and you know, now suddenly you can't even stock Smirnoff in the off-licence because that's Russian. So it's just got hysterical, it's just got weird. For real? There's no vodka here? No, I think that's a slight exaggeration, but I've heard some I reports on, on people... What it really is, 
a lot of time now when it comes to corporate reputation is no one really understands how social media works and they're shit scared of it. So when something happens that could have viral reputational implications, companies tend to just shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's just sever all ties Scattered, yeah. and then work out what a sensible, proportional, nuanced reaction would have been later. And that's what's happening with Russian stuff. And, and that obviously has a few effects. But, you know, a big one, and we spoke about this when we, when we discussed it before, and I think we, we spoke about Huawei and we spoke about Amdocs, um, is, is what does a given company do if they do have interests there? Um, so I will start by handing it over to you, Ian, having framed it that way. You wrote a story along those lines. Why don't mm. you uh, give us it from yeah, the top? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it's key for tech because um, a lot of the sanctions are specifically aimed at technology. I think a lot of the US sanctions about sort of shipping, you know, semiconductors, pretty much like what they did against Huawei. And you can, I guess you can kind of see why, because some of this stuff's dual-purpose stuff, so it has military uses. Yeah. And also there's the fear that, you know, it's not like McDonald's, Closing burger, you know, yeah. shops because it's and they're just about doing reputation. that. They're, they're just doing that. Well, they're doing that because they'd rather because they know they're going to lose all their business in Europe if they don't. Because people go, oh, we're going to boycott McDonald's. And also, they're doing it. There's even more basic pragmatic reasons, which is the supply chains are all fucked up. They're probably there's, not even. There might be, able be to... that, but I think a lot of it's reputational for a lot yeah, of companies. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and and whereas I think with the tech thing, it's a bit more the governments are sort of watching and, and looking at them, and it's a bit more kind of important. But you, I mean, it's interesting that. I've been looking at the um, uh, social media pages of a guy called Mikolo Fedorov, who's actually the uh, Ukrainian deputy prime minister. Okay. And he's also minister for digital transformation, actually a, a digital transformation minister. Which Who is, knew? And, and for him, digital transformation at the moment is basically Keeping things pur going. purging Russia of oh, tech okay. companies. Right. So his whole Twitter feed is basically just so-and-so's done this and so-and-so's done that. And it's like you get a round of applause or... How dare you? So you what's know. he doing? He's grassing up so he's companies so, that are still I mean, doing stuff in Russia. I mean, this is one he put, which I put at the top of my story. So SAP, really interestingly, in, okay. the, in the early days of all this, early days, it's only been going on a month, but pretty much, pretty much um, two or three weeks ago, S SAP's um, CEO, Christian Klein, came out with this statement that SAP will no longer serve Russian customers and we're yeah. stopping all work there. And then about a day later, he had to put an amendment in his statement to say, we'll carry on supporting yeah. customers that we already do work for, but we're not going to sell any new stuff. And we've talked about this before, you know, the contractual obligations that you have. And I'm pretty sure that probably what happened is he put this statement up and then some angry Russians with their lawyers got on the yeah. phone and went, hang on a minute, we can't possibly run our business anymore without SAP's mm, system. You can't just fucking pull out. Do you know, actually, and, it's a quick, sorry to interrupt, yeah. where... When we spoke about it on that pod, um, our former colleague, Wei, who's now um, at Nokia, commented on Twitter, mm. and he pointed out a, a legal thing called force majeure. Yeah. Don't know why we've got to bring French well, I like the it. effort. Isn't that like an unforeseeable act <laughs> of force, God or force something? Force majeure. Major um, force. <laughs> uh, which is, yes, yeah, acts of God and war, yeah. war comes into right, okay. But, and it was a point well made by him, but... I thought, you know, what are the nuances of that? Does if well, if there's a war, does that mean that all your legal obligations are suddenly out the door? Totally. I mean, I think this is a question actually for some of these companies like Ericsson and Nokia that w were very quick to sort of say we're pausing shipments and we won't do that. And they're more sort of perceived as being hardware companies, yeah. And and therefore, when Biden came out with his statement about not using US origin technology, it's pretty much similar thing to, to what they'd done against Huawei. I suspect some of that would have affected 
Ericsson and Nokia anyway. They probably did it because they were worried about the legal implications of not. But they're the same. They have contracts with big Russian operators. Mm. And if something goes wrong with your base station, and maybe it's something to do with the software problem, what are they doing at the moment? Are they? And presumably they have staff as well in Russia. You know, they're, they're more increasing their software companies themselves. I mean, it's an interesting question for them that it I've is. not dug into. But, but the, the SAP one's really interesting because this happened. And anyway, Fedorov put that tweet. I mean, people won't be able to see this, obviously, unless they're actually watching. But... He, put a t- he posted a tweet saying, I mean, this is verbatim, how much longer will you continue help Russia to kill children in Ukraine, Christian Klein? SAP continues supporting bloody Russian companies to make money to destroy Ukraine. And then so there's SAP's logo. Oh, yeah, that's it. I which saw is, that. Which sort of looks a bit SAP's like a logo Stanley with knife blood anyway, dripping, dripping off the bottom dripping of it. with blood. And the red and bit makes it look a bit like a Russian flag as well, because they're red, does, white and blue yeah. bands, aren't they? And, oh, clever um, design, though. You know, and then, and he's... Uh, they're not they are not being subtle about they're it. They're not being subtle, but he's also, as well as sort of uh, calling out companies, I mean, you can see what the Ukrainians are doing, what they're doing. They're obviously trying to sort of get... Um, yeah. They're trying to hurt Russia as well, much as possible. They know there's not going to be a no-fly zone imposed over Ukraine, probably, because that would sort of draw they're, NATO well, they're into desperate. a war. And they're, they're desperate. desperate. I mean, so, I've seen it with uh, Zelensky. You know, when he was talking to England, he invoked Churchill and started fighting yeah. on the beaches. When he spoke to Americans, he started talking about Pearl Harbor and shit like totally. that. When he spoke yeah, to Israel, he started invoking the Holocaust. Yeah. And he's just pulling out all the yeah, stops he's, to he's, tug he's the heartstrings. He's pretty strings. good at doing it, yeah. yeah. Um, and anyway, because I, I, I've been sort of tracking companies in the telecom, I mean, we've written about Huawei and Ericsson and Nokia with all this because they're the big ones. And then, you know, I think we brought up Amdocs a couple of weeks ago. And one really interesting company that Fedorov actually mentioned in his in his in his sort of social media output this week, and it wasn't on Twitter, it was on um, Instagram, and it was in Ukrainian, so I had to go and get it sort of translated. You got a person? Uh, you got a Ukrainian person? No, because it's in Cyrillic. I mean, I basically, I, well, I got my wife to do it actually. I don't know what she did with it, but she came back with what seemed like a fairly accurate translation, right. and then I compared it with other reports of what he'd said as is well. Is there much overlap um, between Ukrainian and Slovakian? Well, there might be in spoken, but the, but it's Cyrillic right. in Ukrainian, so it, the, it might sound the same, but you're looking at a different alphabet. Right, so, well, that's, that's, um, that's a challenge. I mean, if you, if you you the thing about like Slovakia is that you, you did learn Russian growing up when you, if oh, you're that, you? of that generation. Right, right okay. If you're, if you're over middle age and you sort of grew up in the, in the 80s. Oh, there, of course, because it was Eastern yeah. Bloc. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, but but his his tweet for about so the company I was sort of following is is Netcracker, which is a, a, a competitor to uh, Amdocs in the sort of BSS in the BSS OSS telecom yeah. space. So very much a software company doing back office systems, and um, they're actually owned by NEC, which is a Japanese company. But they're headquartered in America. Interesting that they're headquarters in Massachusetts. Was it, was it an acquisition? I don't know the history of it. Because it's they've been part of NEC like, for as long as I can remember. They have, and it's a little bit like, it's almost like um, uh, Rakuten and Altiostar, yeah? Altiostar's mm. based in the US, but it's now wholly owned by a Japanese player. Fair enough. And, and what Fedorov had to say about, um, they came out with a big statement on LinkedIn, Netcracker, describing the war as unlawful and saying, um, this is it, yeah, there's a moral obligation to avoid operating in countries that have forsaken peace. We're directing operations away from Russia and have suspended sales and investments in the country. And then Fedorov came out after they'd done that and said the company halts sales and investments in the aggressor country, closes training centres and halts hiring. Clients of Netcracker were dozens of large companies in Russia. And then he sort of thanks them for their help. Okay, um, so they got a pat on the head from... The they sl- got a pat on the head. But it's, I mean, if you look into it, it's a bit more complicated than that because okay. they're, 
they're really exposed to Russia in terms of their workforce. Okay. Um, and that, I mean, that's not a recent thing. They've relied on Russian coders, software coders for a long time. Um, Is this a... So that's an interesting thing, because like, there's, certain, there's certain countries we associate with outsourcing. For example, India gets a lot of outsourcing for like service industries, like call centers. Yeah, centers, they have a lot of thing. stuff in India as well. China is obviously the, the world's manufacturer yeah. a, a lot of time. Is Russia one of those places where there's a lot of... Um, software like IT, talent. like yeah, software. It is. Right. Yeah. And and I suspect it's quite low cost as well. So yes. Well, that'll be why you do it. the reason. It? So, I mean, I looked at, I mean, this it's not a new thing. In fact, I think a few years ago, there's reporting about um, uh, Netcracker having to reassure US government customers um, that the Russians weren't able to kind of slip back doors into netcracker products naughty code because because they serve some you know they serve some government organizations yeah. and it's pretty much the same worry that you get with huawei you know, the us has been going on about oh well if you buy chinese equipment from huawei it's very closely linked to the state yeah. because it's a because it's a totalitarian state therefore the chinese can go and do what they want with huawei's because products of course, and ask, because of course huawei in the, West, the state this. has no influence over private enterprise at all yeah um, so there's there were already concerns. I mean, you can imagine those concerns now. Um, but they have. So I looked at LinkedIn data, which I know isn't exactly. Certain people have LinkedIn accounts. Certain people don't. I mean, I think in the past when I've looked at LinkedIn data, you can get a fairly accurate oh, idea. It's an anecdotal of, straw poll. You can get a fairly accurate idea of what headcounts like, or certainly to do with the proportions of people. Anyway, um, I call it, so there's seven and a half thousand. Uh, netcracker staff with linkedin profiles across the whole company and about two thousand of those are russians are based in russia rather um out of what was the out of seven and a half thousand that's a good old chunk that's the overall organization that's not just software people obviously that's the whole company so but you've got so we're saying anecdotally a quarter or so yeah. So, I mean, uh, Netcracker themselves sort of dispute that. They're kind of, well, we, you know, the, those headcount figures aren't quite accurate. But then you say to them, well, what are the headcount figures? And they won't give you a number. I can imagine um, Netcracker were a big fan of your story. Well, yeah. I mean, there were things in it that they probably <laughs> didn't like. But, but the, I mean, the interesting thing to me is that you, when, when they've come out with this statement which suggests that they've completely severed all ties. And it almost implies that they're not yeah. using what any about Russian those 2000 coders? Yeah, and that's almost the implication. Um, but if you ask them the question, do you still have people in Russia writing code that's being used in products? They won't answer it. Mm. And the trouble is, if, if and if they, the answer was no, they would answer it. Uh, exactly. But then the problem is, it's not an easy question to, to no. answer yes or no because if they say yes, well, if you're heavily dependent on Russia for software coding and your whole business is about software coding. Then how? Yeah, all of a sudden you're suddenly pulling the plug. You're, you're pulling the plug on a huge amount of your work. And we spoke, I think, it was last week about how difficult Vodafone's finding hiring totally software exactly. talent. It's, yeah. You can't just go. It's all right. There's yeah. two thousand of them sitting uh, around and, in London. And the other complicating factor is that another nine hundred of their staff are in Ukraine. So that's almost what right. that's almost an eighth it's, it's, an, it's more than an eighth if, it, if that's an accurate if it's seven and a half yeah, thousand yeah. people and 900 in ukraine so now we're getting to almost um, a third exposed to that where, region where they've said that they're i mean their statement on this whole matter is a lot more sort of forthcoming about what they're doing to support ukrainian staff it's like you know we're continuing to pay them and we're being very supportive nice but but nothing but very little at all about any people involved in you know in russia yeah um but but even so, you imagine that a lot of those Ukrainian workers, 
given what's happening in Ukraine at the moment, possibly don't aren't in a position to work. Some of them might have left the country. Um, they might just not have access to facilities. I mean, I was reading, I think, Kyivstar, which is one of the... No, not Kyivstar. There's a, Turkcell has an operation, I think, in Ukraine. It's one of the operators that works there. And they were saying this week that 10% of their base stations are now down. I'm surprised it's only 10%, actually. I thought it yes. might be more than that. But but obviously some of the infrastructure is not... I think nearly all the agro militarily has been focused on a few cities, hasn't it? It has. Um, but, the Russian use but if that's where to call each other. If that's where you're based, and you know, if you're working in a city as a Ukrainian yeah. programmer... Uh, you know, and connectivity's down and, and presumably fixed line infrastructure has been affected as well, you know, especially if it's sort of poles and whatever, then it's going to be hard to get anything done, isn't it? It's, it's not as though you're in a position where you can kind of yeah. go to work and carry on coding. And that's probably your last I don't know priority how any, anywhere. I don't anyway. know how people are, are, are just sort of existing and coping and yeah. getting on with things at all. So it's it's a big issue for Netcracker. I mean, it's... Um, Sales-wise, I mean, just to put it into sort of perspective, they they don't publish details of their revenues. Um, NEC doesn't break it out in its reports. I see. But if you talk to analyst sources, not at all. No, interesting. But you, but they do talk. NEC's about, public. NEC's public, and they do talk about what they make from from telecom and from software and this sort of thing. But it's there's more to it than just um, netcracker on that side of things. So you have to talk to analysts who've done the numbers and try to sort of calculate a figure for what they think it is. And I can't say who the figures come from because I don't think it'd be fair. But they they were saying it's probably somewhere between three quarters of a billion and, and sort of nine hundred million, something like that. But you know, more more on the lower side of it. Oh, like this yeah. is a number for what for for Netcracker's annual revenue. Okay, right. And Net, um, again, Netcracker. If you ask them, um, or if you stick that number in a story, which I did, they come back and say, "Oh no, it's it's nothing like that. It's not even in the right ballpark." But, but they don't. They, they won't give yeah. you the figure. So, um, so what, are we gonna, just, what is this? Twenty questions. But it's a really write a next story and write it <laughs> just like ten percent more. And then when they stop giving you a hard time, you know you yeah, got it right. I mean, it's just it's just a really awkward. I mean, it's not just Netcracker. Obviously, it's anybody who's sort of involved in that region and has a technology business. And you know, it's going to have an impact on the on the whole supply chain. Obviously, just because of what it's doing in terms of energy prices and and raw materials and all this sort of stuff. But Netcracker to me is an example of a company where the exposure they have to that region, just from a staffing perspective, makes what's going on really worrying for them. I would think. Yes, and, I think your and headline they, was it's a nightmare for them. Well, that was a, yeah, that, because it is. I don't see how you could put it any other way. When you've got a third of your staff, or whatever it is, a, a quarter between a quarter and a third, based in in that area, doing, and a lot of mm. them involved in. A lot of them are involved in the in the brainy bit of the business. Yeah, they're yeah. the guys where you get your your value. Then. How do you how do you does it, how do you cope with that? I mean, you, as I say, you carry on using them. You're going to have people, presumably, in in the US, going, "Hang on a minute, this is this is a, if there's ever going to be a time when Russia's trying to, you, you know, get malicious code into what that company might do, um, then it's now." And if there's ever a time um, where anyone who's basic, I mean, an, another thing that's just been so stark to me, you know, as as a as a real civil libertarian and a fan of George Orwell and all that sort of thing. Have you seen any of the footage of, like, Russians who just even try and say anything and then suddenly four goons stick them in the back of a van? I mean, yeah. it's, it's just totally oppressive. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it's not as tragic as, as 
you know, cities getting destroyed and civilians and theatres getting bombed and shit like that. But what's what's happening to the Russian people feels like a step back to like full Stalinism, yeah, like fifties. Totally. Well, that was Russia. the Economist headline, wasn't it? One week, the Stalinization of Russia yeah. was last week's. And you know, and and people just getting sent off to the modern equivalent of gulags, yeah, and all that sort of thing. And, and, and so, so the reason it's relevant to what you're talking about is, you know, if you're a kodo who lives in Russia and and someone goes, yeah, Vlad wants you to fuck totally, with this, yeah, what are you going to do? Go tell Vlad to so, shove it. So Netcracker <laughs> apparently, from from someone I spoke to, has had in the past to provide sort of reassurance that that can't happen. They've had to show that they have security tools that stop that from happening. But you sort of think, well, how do they do that? It's, you know, governments always seem to be one step ahead on this kind of thing anyway, the, the, the sort of cyber experts within governments, don't they? And, uh, you know, Russia's, Russia's regarded as one of the countries that, that goes in for this big time, messing around in, supposedly messing around in Yeah, well, actually, that, that's and, my, 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 you know, my active contribution to this chat. We'll get onto that in a second. Yeah, um, but yeah, I just think it puts them in a, in a, in a difficult position because they, they either they either carry on using those people and have a way to to code and a way to sort of support business operations, or they don't, and maybe that's reassuring to some of their customers in the West. But but at the same time, it's um, yeah, it's just a really thorny. And, it, and the other thing that's interesting is, I mean, I won't say who it is, but you know. Uh, there's obviously some jitters amongst operators that aren't based in the US about Netcracker at the moment, mm. um, where people, where you mention them, and uh, one operator in particular got very nervous at the at the, at the mere mention of the name. Um, well, because of the stuff that you've just been talking about, because of association with 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 Netcracker and um, and, and the, the Russian code. Well, I think it, I think possibly it hadn't got to that stage by then anyway, but um, it's. Uh, more, possibly more of a reputational thing. I mean, I think okay. this is I think this is one that is an, an interesting one for operators generally still using Huawei equipment. Um, you know, the fact that Huawei's continuing to maintain a relationship with Russian operators and hasn't yeah. joined the sort of Western embargo. You know, I, I wrote a piece where I just went around basically asking European operators, are you, are you going to carry on using this company? Because this is where it's getting to now. It's getting to the point where we were talking about embargoes on on McDonald's yeah. you, know, you know people sort of boycotting McDonald's perhaps if they didn't close their stores uh, if you guilt, carry on guilt you, by association, guilt by association yeah. you carry on buying your stuff from Huawei and all of a sudden you're accused of indirectly of, of, of supporting, indirectly Russia. supporting yeah. Russia's regime so yeah and I, I actually um, I'm actually not a fan of that I I don't like this this domino effect of complicity um, and then this sort of broader thing, you know, and it's sort of stuff that the, the Yanks have been into for ages, all the way back to your sort of post 9-11, and, you know, and this is what allowing for the fact that they were entitled to have some fairly strong opinions after 9-11. Yeah. But this, you know, you're either with us or against us, yeah. sort of binary black and whiteness. I, I'm not a fan of it. And... You know, and, and and we continue to get this over Russia, and you know, and, and and some of it I get. I mean, we know, you know, that there's all been people like um, Zelensky and and probably your mate Fedorov. You know, they're all they're all into this no fly zone, but we know that a no fly zone basically means NATO goes to war with Russia. Yeah. So it's World War Three. Yeah. And I think I don't think it's unreasonable to go. Do you know what? I don't fancy World War Three. No. First first two didn't go so well. 
Yeah. Um, so, so were you going to say something? I was like, imagine that. Yeah. So the, the other one that's interesting, I don't think we've mentioned it on the pod before, but the other one that's interesting from this whole tech tie-up with Russia, you know, what's happening is ARM. Um, right. That's um, it. We were thinking um, about talking about it last I'm week not, and we didn't, but by all means bring it up now. I mean, it's more, and, and my angle is not the smartphone side of things at all. Um, it's to do with data center infrastructure. Right. Uh, and, and actually to do with Huawei, largely. Um, you know, Huawei has a big cloud business, or not a particularly big cloud business, but they're certainly trying to position that as a growth opportunity for them. It's something they've tr- been trying to get into. Yep, one of their pivots. One of their pivots. Um, but it's actually very hardware dependent. You know, if you're going to run data centers and try and do what the public clouds do, you need you need servers, yeah. you need equipment. You we, know. T- we tend to talk of inc- increments of football fields, don't we? Totally. And There'll come a stage where we talk about increments of Wales, yeah. which is the next one up. <laughs> And and so if you if you look at the uh, the you know the hardware that you need for that, I mean the chips have tended to come from Intel, you know x86 chips yeah. basically. You know, in fact, if you look at that whole market, uh, and I got the figures from Omdia da- data center processors, I think Intel's got a seventy percent market share. A was it AMD's got about eighteen percent, which is x86 right? as well, which is x86 as well, leaving five percent left. Who does that five percent? people basically using arms architecture because yeah, it's do, the only other microarchitecture. The only other, there's, there's risk five i think but it's got okay. it's very which is an open source alternative but it doesn't have any market share at the moment so um now what what huawei's done is because it can't buy x86 chips anymore because they're because it's us technology. origin technologies yeah. it's sort of pivoted to arm it's it's mm-hmm. it's churning which is rational out from its point of view kunpeng processors which its own high silicon unit designs based on kunpeng. arm architecture and, I, and if, you, if you remember back a couple of years ago, there was a big sort of, um, a lot of reporting by the BBC about whether ARM was going to sever ties with Huawei. Yeah. Uh, there was a memo that went around, in fact, saying we're stopping operations because... All there of was, I remember stuff, writing that up a yep, few years ago. All of our stuff is, a lot of, well, a lot of our stuff's US origin, so we can't risk selling to Huawei anymore. And then a few months later, they sort of changed their minds. They got some lawyers involved to have a look at it. And it's not US origin, we can carry on. But the problem now is... You know, Russia's, Huawei's, one of its sort of cloud markets is Russia. It opened this big ARM-based data center in Moscow about a year ago. Um, And a lot of the Russian cloud companies, people like Yandex and Mail.ru, they're in a lot of trouble because of of sanctions. Along with every other Russian company, I would imagine. So... um, you got this. You got this awkward situation for ARM, where again, guilt by association, they could be accused of. I mean, ARM itself. I asked them for a, a position on Russia, and they've said we've stopped. Again, it's quite wishy-washy. We've stopped dealing with hmm. Russian companies, and we don't supply Russia anymore. And then you say, well, what about Huawei? And and they were not prepared to comment on specific customers. I'm afraid, but you know you could sell to Huawei couldn't you and then they can they can deploy the equipment in Russia is that something that could happen they they won't yeah. they won't tell you and, that and but. from from arms point of view given that what they sell is intellectual property they don't yeah. sell anything physical at all yeah um how how culpable can they be? Well, exactly. Are they, they're not going to Huawei. Well, we'll sell it to you, but you can't deploy it in Russia, yeah. are they? Presumably? Or, or Huawei's not going when they buy it off from that. Yeah, we're going to be lobbing this over to Russia because that's not how it works. They no. use it to make chips. Yeah. And then what they do with those chips? I mean, they could they could burn them all in a big bonfire. That's not Arm's yeah. business. The only thing Arm cares about because it's it's revenue model. It's twofold. There's um. There's the license, there's the upfront license, but then there's also royalty. Yeah. So it's a bit like um, all the all the shit that Qualcomm 
everyone used to try and get Qualcomm on its business model, but you get this hybrid thing where you pay them an upfront for, let's say, the, the Cortex-A20 chip. But then you also pay for every phone it ends up in. It's a tiny bit of it. Yeah. But like when you buy a phone for 500 quid or a grand, so many stakeholders have got a piece of that action. Yeah. And they're all tracking. This used to be something like in my old job when I was a smartphone analyst, a lot of our clients would be people who just needed to have a sense of how many smartphones are being sold everywhere because they don't necessarily have an, a, a very clear, explicit line of feedback from their own customers and obviously there's an incentive for their customers to downplay it go nah we didn't sell any phones for some reason no one wants to fucking buy any at the moment because then they don't have to pay the royalties and so they'd get strategy analytics and presumably omdia and and other such analyst firms to to give them estimates and then they could go back and go well i'm sorry but these people reckon that a bunch got sold so i think you're talking shit son um anyway but so yeah so that's their model and i there, I, th- I think the ARM example is a really good one you brought up because it's a classic example of this guilt by association. Where does the line of direct culpability, the, the sort of, yeah, they can be held liable for it. Where does it stop? Yeah. When ARM sells a bit of IP, which then another company puts into a chip, which then maybe a third party resells onto someone else. Well, I can imagine a lot of some of these sort of aggressive US senators and politicians who don't, you know, who, who've gone hard in on Huawei and, and don't like the, you know, don't like any anybody having anything to do with it. The kind of people who were leaning on the UK to ban it when, when we did. I can imagine them not being particularly happy a couple of years ago when Arm said it would carry on supplying, um, you know, Huawei. Because, look, it wouldn't be just be the cloud business. Actually, it would have a massive impact on Huawei's um, other units as well, wouldn't it? Especially yeah. its devices one, if it couldn't get access to Arm blueprints. Yeah. Um, that really would be a crippling blow if they couldn't do that anymore. Um and 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 they were they were probably thinking, well, that's maybe one way of finishing it off once and for all is to have that company not supply it. Now, now, given what's going on in Russia now, probably even more so, some of them are thinking, hang on a minute, this is this is not right that ARM's continuing to serve Huawei. So I, I'm not saying I want to have an opinion on it one way or the other. Yeah, I'm just saying it's no, the sort of thing that, the, the environment. The, 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 that's the environment we live in. And it's just a very, all this is just really weird what's going on at the moment, this, this kind of di- the entanglement that you see. Well, I don't like it. Um, I don't like it. Just as I, just... The Americans can't say, we hate Huawei because we think they do their government's bidding. And then the the, the amount they're throwing their weight around right now, um, you know, and they can, but let's just be honest. They're throwing their weight around because they can. I think we had this chat about when we were talking about um, Ericsson getting, getting fined for being naughty only by the Americans yeah. when their naughtiness hadn't actually taken place in America. Yeah. And it was like, well, how come they do it? And the answer was because they can, and and that's what they do. Well, some got, of the these, well apparently these other, other regulators could do the same thing. It's just they, could, they generally don't. Isn't it because well, they, they don't dollars. have the heft? They, they don't have yeah. the raw power. They can't. Of, they, of can't they can't hurt you in the same way. It could way. have been a dollar thing, but the real reason is America can because they are the most powerful, richest country in the world. I mean, the EU tends to come along and, and levy quite heavy fines against companies. Yeah, if you think about another well, they, they, one, that does they think of themselves as, as an equivalent. Yeah. But but um, but I mean, Ericsson got asked about that actually on the call uh, that they did at Mobile World Congress, where Boya Ekholm had to sort of explain that they were, you know, he had to act all contrite, and I'm sure he is actually. I'm sure he's very well, he embarrassed about, about it. it yeah, so. and um, and he had to sort of say what they were doing, and and they got asked a question: um, Are you, uh, you know, could could regulators in other countries take action? And that guy Xavier de Dullen, who's now let, he's he's been axed, hasn't he? 
he, he was a full that. guy. It's a great name, though. He was their chief legal officer. Oh, and then we've got a new bloke been, called Scott who's coming. So That's the only way I remember because I'm a narcissist. So Xavier de Dullen has basically been um, kicked out, He's I like, think, is, yeah. is, 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 is the Which seems har- reasonable. Harsh way like, to put well, Xavier, it. we're in legal trouble. You're the main legal bloke. Well, I, I think he was he was the full, the obvious full guy yes. because they, they said that they were implementing, I mean, getting off into a bit of a tangent yeah, now, yeah. but they said they were implementing all these sort of reforms and improving corporate governance the last time they got fined. Yeah. And then this happens. Turns out they're having um, ISIS. And the DOJ specifically said you haven't done things and you haven't been you haven't coughed up enough information and you've been sloppy in this area. So it, it sort of reflects on him, I think, and basically he's been forced out. Right. I, I he's a weird guy on on um calls because he's one of these people who a journalist or an analyst will ask him a question and it's like a machine answering. It's like a machine that speaks legalese coming back. His, all of his answers probably not are like that surprising just, for a chief legal officer. I though. suppose you can see why he's doing it, but yeah, yeah. it's just really. And then you, you're listening to what he said, and you're trying to figure out what it actually means and because it's just, it just like, it's like reading a contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. God, I mean, if you ever read like with M and A or or with with court judgments or whatever, fucking hell, who'd be a lawyer? Yeah. So the guy they've got in Scott, I can't remember his surname, but he apparently was at Vion, which is interesting yeah, as well because so they're, they're mainly Russian. He's, he's had his hands full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was yeah. an interesting move. In fact, um, when we when we wrote that up, that was one of the most read stories. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to something yeah. I want to say because there's an obvious segue. We've been talking about America, and obviously we got to move it on for time anyway. The other the the, the most Russiany thing I wrote this week was um, headline was U.S. President warns of impending Russian cyber attacks. Now, through Netcracker. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was just uh, you're not, a joke. You're not getting yourself a Netcracker's <laughs> Christmas card list here, mate. Um, and uh, yeah, and and it's an interesting thing because there were until recently, if I'd seen something like that, I would have assumed it was just propaganda. I'd assumed it was just the the U.S. state yanking everyone's chain for some for whatever strategic purpose it yeah. has. But I think everyone had a little wake-up call. When Do you remember just before the invasion of Ukraine, we had all like Bojo and and Macron and Biden all going public and going, look, they're about to fucking invade. And we were like, yeah, yeah. I just thought they were bigging it up. I just, because we've just learned to not trust these people. Like all through the pandemic, the, the sort of exaggeration of various bits and bobs. Yeah. I think most people's instinct, or maybe it's just people like me, um, it's just to take everything that a public figure, especially a politician, says with a massive pinch of salt. But then when they were going on about how Russia's about to invade Ukraine, we were just like, yeah, yeah, you're just trying to shit everyone up. You're probably, you're probably just trying to get some more defence budget because goddamn, you know, Grum and... Or some defence contract, contractors sort of slipped you a brown envelope under the table and then lo and behold he goes and invades and then everyone has to sort of go all right okay they they weren't talking shit yeah on that one and so now when i see something like this where previously i might have been more skeptical um now i'm like okay uh, i think we might have gone beyond the just lying phase and there's probably some truth in it so he talks for him to for biden and obviously biden himself when he talks that you know there's extra complications to do with the fact that He's not the most coherent at this stage in his life. Um, but, you know, he's just a spokesperson, really. It's not like he's been sitting there going, oh, hold on a sec, These, yeah. they're fucking up to something. Um, so he's passing on the message from his sort of security state. And, yeah, and basically that concern, and this was, it hasn't come to light yet. When when was this? 
when was this written? Uh, three days ago, was that there was going to be a massive sort of uh, Russian sort of cyber attack. And as you alluded to earlier, they've got a lot of capabilities in that area. And even if everything was cool, they'd be fucking around with that stuff. And they have these sort of dotted line ones, like they sort of they sort of encourage hacker groups without them being directly employed by the state. But they yeah. basically make it clear to them that you go ahead, you got you got no worries about us kicking your door down. Um, and you know, and it's so there's just so much of it going on constantly. Um, it's it's a it's a bizarre little sort of arms race by itself, the hacker versus security side of things. And he was basically imploring private companies to just up their security spend was the long and short of it. And again, you'd sort of think, well, you know, what what's going on there? Is he you know, has he got a mate who's just started working at fucking Norton? How reliable is all this stuff Norton. anyway? <laughs> <laughs> McAfee. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or has he got? Yeah, that'll work. Or has he just bought shares in one of those VPNs that always advertise on podcasts? <laughs> NordVPN. Yeah, NordVPN or, or whatever. Um, but um, but I was. I know Norton's like a, a yeah. brand from the past, isn't it? You used to buy a box of Norton with and a bloke in a tie who AOL, looked like he wasn't fucking around. Your AOL CD. Yeah. Acme Security. Is that there like? we go. Something like that. Um, but I thought, no, okay, I'm going to suspend my natural scepticism and take this seriously. It hasn't come to anything yet, but I think it's very plausible to imagine that, you know, the way the way the the war's played out, it hasn't quite ground to a halt, but I don't think it's gone as Putin hoped. We don't know what the end game is, short of him flattening the entire fucking country. Um and it's not unreasonable to assume that he's going to start throwing more and more shit at the wall for whatever reason. I mean, no one can claim to know what's going on in his head. No. Um, but, you know, he might just try stuff. I mean, the most obvious thing was just would just be to punish the West for all the sanctions yeah. and all fucking McDonald's pulling out and shit. Um, I bet he's not happy about that. I bet, like, loves, I bet he loves a quarter pound of cheese. McDonald's, he's I was getting fine. a bit jowly, so I bet he's a bit he a lot of that's yeah, cheeseburgers. Yeah, well, people people are wondering whether he's ill or something. Yeah, well, he's not going outside, is he? <laughs> nah, no, no, he doesn't want to go outside anymore. Um, but you know what? The the cybersecurity companies' stocks are going up, so it must be the market must think. That, yeah, yeah. I don't think even if Biden hadn't said that, I don't think it'd be reasonable unreasonable to assume. There was some aggregate. Actually, I was just thinking about the McDonald's. There was some meme that went round when I think McDonald's, Coca-Cola, and some other sort of junk foodie type Pizza of thing, hell. fucking Dunkin' Donuts or something, pulled out, and, and everyone went, <laughs> Russia suddenly become the healthiest country in the world. Yeah. Which I thought was a funny meme. Um, but there you go. Uh, so, yes, I just think that's, that's an interesting one. Apropos nothing specifically telecoms-y, but... I think um, I think everyone's going to have to spend. Oh, it's kind of telecoms. It's well, yeah, networks, because telecoms, you know, yeah. there's a security element, definitely. Yeah. You know, we we certainly speak to vendors all the time who have got very telecoms focused B two B security products. These attacks happen over internet infrastructure, obviously. Yeah. So, so I think everyone's basically going to have to spend a lot more on security, which I'm not surprised if you've been tracking sort of stocks and all that sort of thing. You know, and. Again, if I was if I were to abuse my position and, and think about some companies I've encountered that do specific telecoms uh, security solutions for telecoms that most people, short of equity analysts, wouldn't have heard of, 
I'd, I'd go off, put my money where my mouth is, and buy some shares in them. But I haven't. Yeah. But partly because I'm so ethical. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I've only got a tenner's worth of Nokia. Or well, that's about thirteen, fourteen quid now. And I did have twenty quid's worth of Ericsson, which is about thirteen, fourteen <laughs> quid now as well. When did you buy it then? Before? Oh, uh, just when, when I first. Echo, so the only not, time not I've never really speculated. Echo, I've, yeah. I've never had the spare cash, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, but they're, still, then, they're still up on where they were when the late CEO took over. Yeah, we, we chatted about that. But yeah. from when I bought it, my 20 quid's down to about 17 quid now, I right. think. But That's not great. No, I just did. I, I, I got a, an app called Free Trade yeah. and just started fucking about with stocks. Um, basically, quite soon after the first lockdown, because you know all the stock markets went down the toilet. And yeah. I thought, even I know there's going to be a correction. You know, this must be a trough. You don't have to be Warren Buffett to think this is probably a trough, so it's probably not a bad time to buy almost anything. Yeah. And, you know, we did things like Pierre and I, because Pierre dabbles as well, and we chatted about, like, buying stocks in, like, you know, like travel and tourism and, and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, my, my best performing stock right now is called Investec. And they're that rings up, a bell. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the name does what it says on the tin, but that's up almost 200% for me, and they give out quite meaty dividends. So that's one of my f- few successes. I basically, I sold about at the start of the year, I, or maybe late last year, I started selling a lot of my positions. I mean, I only invested like a grand or something. I didn't go crazy. You know, tenner here, tenner there. Did you short? No, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think this, certainly not on the free version that I've got. They don't give you tools like that. Um, you can't even day trade because there's a delay of several hours between when you put a sell order in and when it comes through. So you can't try and be cute during the day. Um, but, um, yeah, I sort of exited a lot of these things that, that were obviously, um, sort of lockdown specific, like travel and tourism and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, so what I've got now is a few ones that I had onto that have done all right. And this long tail of fucking garbage (laughs) that's all down about 70%, but each of them I've got about 20 quid in. But if you look at the long tail of my, um, free trade, I'll show you it after if we go out. Yeah. It's just it's just a car crash, but thankfully I don't have very big positions in any of them. But you know, there's there's ones where I get a message where they just go, "Yeah, we've taken it off because it's not worth anything now, mate. Bad luck. <laughs> Better luck next time." And that's it. And you know, that's, that's the thing about investing. Yeah. You know, it can just it's it's like betting on the horses. Anyway, right, let's move it on. Um, so staying on America, um, T-Mobile US uh, had a sort of general strategic update wasn't it was it uh, like a, was it in conjunction with annual numbers or no, anything like that no was it wasn't it? really a strategic update either so okay well let's just hand it straight over to you because uh, mary wrote it up for us i obviously edited it but you know at this stage in life you can't expect things to stay in my head for longer than about two minutes so um why don't i just give it straight to you what what were they banging on about i mean it was it was a bit of a sort of whinge about 5g um and what they're going to do about it. Uh, right. With uh, Neville Ray, who's their chief technology officer. I think his job title is something like President of Technology, which sounds a lot better, doesn't right. it? At least, he, at least he hasn't got something like um, evangelist in his And he, he basically got on the, on the line. I mean, it's a very glitzy uh, presentation they did, but it didn't have a Q&A session in it, which I don't like. Right. You know, I mean, if you're going Not to do even the press, pretence of accountability. No, I mean, it, it's... And I've, I've, I've had this experience before with American companies, actually. I don't know if it's a thing, but I think if you're going to have a sort of press-facing thing, you should build in a bit of time for questions. I agree. You don't just sort of 
do it. And and it all had that appearance of being pre-recorded. So I don't even know if it was live. It was very, very polished. Um, produced. And produced yeah. and, and cut away to, pe- you know, people in the studio. I mean, the whole the whole point was, you know, he came on and he sort of went, you know, we're rolling out our 5G network and we're doing really well and we've got loads of subscribers, but there's been too much 5G hype and it's clearly been disappointing and where's the wave of innovation? It's not there. Right, so a lot of rubbish. stuff we've been saying for years. Yeah, and so there are, and, and what he basically said was that, you know, that one of the main problems is carriers have, have got in the way. You know, they need to get out of the way for 5G to, to thrive. And what does he mean by that? Um, what he means is that he was saying it's it's just far too hard for small developers to work with carriers. It's, you know, they they... There's too much bureaucracy they have to go through. So it's just like they, a Vodafone API type of angle. Not really. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, a like let's hire those as software engineers and right. do all of that. It's more about let's open up our facilities to make it easier for developers to come in so they can right. use our. So just be more open. I mean, they've got this new platform, for example, where they provide certain tools to developers that make, makes it easier for them to to come up with ideas and products, and they can use the network more easily. They've even got a big facility where you can come in and test drones out and that sort of thing. You know, you can get chipsets to to work on. Right. You can get unlimited access to the network for any number of devices while you're trying to work on applications. The whole thing's about making it easier for small people rather yeah. than just large enterprises to come along and develop 5G applications on, on the T-Mobile network that then might become this next big thing, perhaps. Who knows? Right. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that all you makes know, I, I mean, sense I, to I'm me. I'm trying to sort of look at some of his quotes that I wrote because, yeah, 5G, I mean, this is literally what he said. 5G hype's been out of control and there are lots of people wondering where the breakthrough innovations are. Um, the truth is that developer innovation has been underwhelming so far. It won't take off if carriers won't get out of the way. You know, and then he was saying, you know, buildings need to be more easily accessible. We need programs that are, you know, not just for sort of big companies with resources and time, but, you know, that are, you know, tailored to smaller developers, basically. Um, you know, the whole like, the whole thing is to give them a kind of Silicon Valley mod- model yeah. and not sort of telco bureaucracy. So that's one of the reasons I invoked the, the Vodafone thing. I, I, I get what you're saying. They're not announcing that they're, that they're hiring loads of sort of coders and developers in-house. Yeah. But the broader theme that seems to be in common with the... You know, Vodafone chats we've had, including the one we spoke about in the pod recently, and this is an acknowledgement that if the barriers to sort of interacting with the network are too high for for IT types, then yeah. that's just not going to fucking bother. Or they'll do it via someone else. They'll they'll sort of circumvent the yeah. operators. But but I mean, Vodafone's thing is very much about. I mean, they, we were at that thing where they were talking about APIs and, and there's obviously an outreach program there as well where they want to be able to make it easier for third parties to work with them. Um, but a lot of the in-house activity, having all these software engineers, is partly about developing applications and partly about developing some of their own tools for the network and partly about being less reliant on systems integrators. I think it's a, a, a bit a slightly different. So I, the thing I didn't really get about I almost thought it was slightly contradictory about Neville Ray's thing was, and there was nothing at all, by the way, about commercial models with all of this either. Right. So it's all just right. more conceptual um, was, stuff. Well, it was, it was, I mean, I could see what they're saying, you know, and they've got this, it's not just conceptual because they showed, they actually showed off this big 24,000 square foot facility they've got near Seattle, I think, where, you know, it's all set up for developers to come in and work with them and you can get software development kits easily. And the first, th- the first 1,000 are on us 
which implies that the other ones you have to sort of pay to get hold Plus of. Plus 1,000 what? Software SDKs. development kits. Right. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really they didn't really elaborate on that in the so thing. So they're going, they're going for the sort of heroin dealer model. Yeah, but the the thing I don't really get is he, he sort of went, um, carriers need to get out of the way. And then it's like, well, but we're not going to do that. We're going to get in the way, you know? Because if you got out of the way, I mean, look, Uber didn't go and develop its application working closely with an operator, did it? No. It did it on its own. It didn't have to worry about what the underlying network was. The carriers got yes. out of the way completely, and then it worked really well. And 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 thanks to the availability of 4G networks everywhere, okay, it's all point. great. So so in a way, he's going. We need to get out of the way. So let's so come and work with us. So well, you're not getting out of the way, then, are you? Well, so, you know, but that's you, you the dilemma. The that, that strikes me as the dilemma because if they completely get out of the way. Then yeah. they then they get this this existential problem that they've been having for decades of OTT and just being cut out of the loop and just yeah. being a dumb pipe. Um, if they completely get out of the way, but then getting in the way in a constructive way, like you talk about Uber, you know, what is a way in which yeah, but in which Uber not- could could have in any way been different? If there had been close closer collaboration with operators, it's well, not obvious to me. Well, that, that's that, and that's the million dollar question, yeah, yeah. isn't it? How, if Uber went and worked with AT and T or Verizon to develop its app, presumably then that app would be something that's bound to the AT and T and Verizon system You'd think network. So. And therefore, you don't have... And also, it wasn't just about 4G. I mean, we, Dean Bubbly's mentioned this before. Uber actually does work on a decent 3G connection. There's nothing there's nothing network-specific about not, it. nothing bandwidth-specific. In fact, I think you can even get it on Wi-Fi at home when you order it. You know, it's not yeah, like... Yeah, because it, there's nothing bandwidth-intensive. Some of work will be done by GPS, presumably. Yeah, it doesn't... It's not It's not tied to a specific standard. Yeah, yeah. yeah? So, so he's positioning this as... Not only it's it's something where it seems to have to be tied to 5G itself, which I think is a bit, of a bit of an odd thing when it's a network that's not even that widely deployed at the moment, but also... And doesn't necessarily does, offer anything. How do they make money? I mean, what, what, I, this is what I don't understand about the commercial model. If you're an, a prospective Uber coming up with the next app that takes off... I mean, Uber was like the first sort of unicorn, wasn't it? From, yeah, from and, it's, and it's become a sort of paradigm of a of a sort of mobile broadband app. Totally. And, and the beauty of Uber is that you download it and it doesn't matter which carrier you're using you use it everywhere and that's why it's so successful and so valuable because you can use it across any network and do whatever you want with it well how does that benefit if, if T-Mobile's saying you come and work with us and then just clear off and you know you develop some brilliant app and, and AT&T customers are free to use that as well and Verizon's customers are as well you know how does how does that then benefit yes. T-Mobile and if it doesn't do that and it's something that's that's actually tied to the T-Mobile network, then I think you're getting into all sorts of potential issues anyway to do with some of the stuff that Andrea Donner at Vodafone was mentioning in terms of the regulatory side of things and net neutrality. Right, net neutrality. Because, because, because the whole thing about net neutrality is not prioritising certain services over others. And the whole concept of an internet service that only works on one company's network yeah. is automatically then start, starting to get you into hot water with the, with the net neutrality crowd. So isn't, again... None of this know, was explained because they didn't no. have a Q&A, so no one could even and, ask and they about kept any it, of this. And they kept it sort of relatively top line. I, mean, I embed, embedded the videos and I watched some of them. Yeah. But I've got to admit, after a while, Neville Ray's sort of slightly exaggerated delivery got on my tits and I stopped listening to it. Yeah, but um, the, the, one of the good things about the presentation is they had someone in it called Rob Roy. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, he, he didn't have a kilt on or anything. But Rob Roy. Roy. That wasn't who. Um, <laughs> is that who um, Mel Gibson was? No, no that was William was Liam, Wallace. Liam Neeson was was Rob Roy, right, and Mel Gibson was William Wallace. 
Exactly. They didn't right. have a William Wallace, unfortunately. Well, but Rob Roy and Roy. William Wallace, were they around at the same time? Well, were they Rob, mates? I think Rob Roy's fictional, isn't it? It's based on a book oh, okay. by, um, what's his name, Walter Raleigh. Oh, okay. I think. Right. No? I, just, I don't know. I, I'm just showing my... Uh, or is William, my was William Wallace actually existed? I just know that, obviously, if you're going to be a figurehead for the Scots around that time, you have to have an illiterate. And I think it's different. I think I think Rob Roy's 17, um, 18th, early 18th century. Right. So they got fucked. Whereas all William Wallace other. is sort of, what, 1200s? So only 500 years apart. I was close. Yeah. Only 500 years. I mean, that's close. That is that close. <laughs> anyway, so I'll stop talking shit. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I think um, another thing in common with... You know, the Vodafone chat we had recently, and this, as far as I can tell, is, and this is no criticism of you, but Uber's perhaps not the best illustration because the, to answer your question of, you know, what advantage is there for developers to have better access to the network, I suspect it's only on B2B stuff or primarily on B2B it might be, stuff. Well, if it's only on B2B stuff, then they're not going to make the money on it anyway. So, And, yeah, well, and T-Mobile's not a B2B company. No, well, that's actually a fucking good point, isn't it? So, 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 so that doesn't. Add so, up why do you anyway. think they did you know, this? They're, they're, they've gone to the trouble of doing it wasn't this high production as an value. enterprise B two B thing. This. So, at what do you all. think? What was your gut feel about what the strategic purpose of that event well, was? Look, I can I can see a strategic interest in in spurring innovation and making it easier for developers to come along and, and develop applications. And if there's some way of doing that where you can where you can marry it to your network and you and then maybe people then would say, well, we're going to go to T-Mobile because we can get these great services that we can't get on AT&T and Verizon. I think that all sounds brilliant. Yeah. The, the issue is that's kind of not how it's worked in the past. And I think Never you've got, worked like And that. I think you've got all sorts of regular... I mean, I don't see why developers would necessarily want that. You know, you, you can have a global app that works anywhere on any network or you can have something that's tied to T-Mobiles. I mean, they'll, they'll, for sure, what they're going to want is access to low-cost tools that they can use while they're working on this stuff and facilities and the support of people who know about 5g and can tell them about 5g um but i just find it a bit weird in a way that because as i say we we didn't uber didn't go oh we need to work with people who do 4g network stuff when it was developing when they were developing as far as i know they didn't you know they just knew that they had to have some degree of reliable mobile broadband but that was it yeah you know, and and again, I, a lot of this seems like this whole kind of dressing five G up to be something that it's not really. Yes. This whole oh, it's different from four G because it's all about low latency and network slicing, and you know, I mean, some of these, I mean, some of these things just aren't very well explained. No. You know, and and I think one of the reasons is because no one really knows. I had a chat with uh, Andrew, who um, regular followers of the pod will, will will see that he was on the one I did for Mobile World Congress, and he's a deputy editor of Telecoms dot com. Um, but he, you know, prior to this, he's an experienced tech journalist, but like when I started, he's not necessarily a network telecoms journalist. So he's obviously been getting up to speed rapidly. And we had a little chat about, I was helping him with a story he was writing and just giving him some background. And we were talking, it was, it was actually, this is a bit of a tangent, but it's something we spoke about a few weeks back about whether 5G is intrinsically faster than 4G pound for pound. Yeah. You know, allowing for allowing for fatter pipes and all that sort of thing over over exactly the same amount of bandwidth on the same spectrum is it intrinsically faster to which we haven't really got a satisfactory answer yet have we um and andrew you know and sometimes it's it helps to not know that much about it that's certainly a card i've been playing yeah. hard for the last eight years um and he goes so so what's the point of it then <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, well, good, po- good question, mate. Good yeah. question. And, you know, and the reason I bring it up, other than the fact it's a funny anecdote, is we're still there, aren't we? We're well, still at the what's the point of it well, stage. Well, I, th- I thought this was interesting on the, um, the the Vodafone thing that we went to, where he, he briefly mentioned 6G, didn't he? I actually wrote a story on, on this because Howard Watson at BT had said a similar thing. They both said 6G won't be a new air interface. It's already been decided. Yeah. I mean, there must have been in some meetings where there's been some feedback that's been going on that 6G will basically use, I think it's OFDM, isn't it, the underlying technology. But isn't 4G also based on OFDM? They're both, they're, I think 4G and 5G, the, the underlying stuff that, that goes into it. You know, we used to call, yeah. we used to, in the 3G days, it was all wideband CDMA, wasn't it? We used to get more sort of trendy, uh, not trendy, yeah. but more sort of tech acronym, uh, tech abbreviations yeah, yeah. going on to describe the technologies then. And then it suddenly changed to things like long-term evolution and new radio, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which, which tells Sounds you like something. It's a fudge, doesn't it? It's a fudge because the, the underlying stuff's the same. So if 6G's the same... And FTM's got... Is, is the O sound for orthogonal? Well, it's the fuck orthogonal, does orthogonal, orthogonal mean? Well, I mean, look, I'm sure there's... At least that sounds like there's a proper sort of physics sounds, thing going on sounds there. Sounds techie. Um, but if the point is, if 6G's just the same then it really does put pressure on the guys who are trying to come up with new 6G technologies to, yeah. w- what is it going to be there? If it's not, I mean, all the research and development in the past seems to have been to do largely with the air interface, coming up with a new air do interface. You know what? We're going so, to finally get um, Neil McRae on. I know. We should ask him. Well, we can ask I him I mean, we'll, we'll let him in advance. We don't ambush people. We always let people know w- roughly what we're going to chat about. But it'd be interesting to ask a proper high-level techie like him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know to what extent Air Interface is his core. Well, he's, he's a software guy, really. He's more a software guy, so yeah. maybe he wouldn't be the best question to ask. But, um, you know, if he listens to this, at least get some advance warning of what's yeah. going on. But I would like to ask someone, yeah. what is, what's new about new radio? Do you know what I'd like to ask someone? What, can you do network slicing on, on fibre? Right. I've never thought of that. What, why can't you have... You know, they keep talking about this guaranteed quality yeah, yeah. of service stuff i know we need 5g to do that you can't do that on 4g we need you know we need we need 5g for network slicing what about fixed line networks you know if you if you had a if you carve out a gaming service for someone you know and they and, they and they're doing it inside the house in in an in a in a setting where they can use a fixed line network and, and they want guarantees of latency can they can they well, have that on a fixed line network? I'll can say you have to any slicing. I don't. You know, to any PR or marketing people or or whatever who um, listen to this, whenever we ask those rhetorical questions to which we don't have an answer, we're basically giving buying signals. Where if you can come up with someone yeah. who can join in the chat, but who can answer these questions, um, and, and and not be afraid to be asked direct questions and answer them then I'd welcome them on because I think sometimes in our sort of semi-drunken meanderings, we happen upon things that no one's answered. And yet we take them all as read that new radio is better than old radio. Well, we still don't know why. And then your question about, you know, applying some of those same principles to fixed line, why why can or can't we? Yeah. Um, The the, the other thing I was going to say about T-Mobile sort of coming in, um, but I didn't, is... I had a look at some of their their numbers recently because they I mean they've they've been on a sort of bit of a tear haven't they for years is but the perception picking up it's customers left right and yeah um but they've been on the whole prepaid haven't they no postpaid oh, okay yeah 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 I mean so yeah in so for instance in the um I mean this is the weird thing about the American market which I 
I asked um, one of Omdi's analysts about it, uh, and I can't even remember her name off the top of my head because it's the first time I've ever dealt with her. Kristen is her first name. Oh, that's a start. Um, but she's she's obviously based in America and covers the North American market. I mean, one of the weird things about the US market, I, I think, is every quarter they seem to add hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of new subscribers. <laughs> and it's not from? just it's not just you know, you could understand that maybe if if T Mo if um, Verizon and AT and T were were hemorrhaging customers. Because that's sometimes what happens in the West, isn't it? You get you get Iliad, for instance, in Italy, yeah. getting loads, and Telecom Italia's lost a load. And but you still expect the grand total of all of them to be to really, be reasonably and, stable. And yeah, so I looked. I looked at so the big three, obviously, now are AT and T, Verizon, and T Mobile. And I looked at what went on in the fourth quarter, and they all added customers, and the ad, the total additions was two million, which is huge. I mean. I know the US market's big, but to add in a in one quarter, so the US population's million, late three hundred millions. Yeah, but obviously so, there's a lot of kids, there's a lot of old people. There's a lot of but most people think, have already got phones. I don't this actually, don't, I actually don't know if the US population is growing or not. Well, but I, I don't think it's growing by two million a fucking quarter. So it was two million. I mean, Kristen was saying um, it could be obviously people moving off postpaid contracts, per, sorry, prepaid contracts. Is that that's still going on? And I think you know the. Uh, the sort of end of the pandemic or the perception maybe that we're coming out of the worst stage of this whole coronavirus stuff is void confidence. Yeah, yeah, people spending a bit more. And then there are smaller operators still that that aren't doing, that might not be doing so well and, and perhaps some of that's moving towards the big three. But the, but the interesting thing about T-Mobile's figures, I thought, is that they're not doing as brilliantly as they used to. So they, they I mean, this sounds a lot, but they got 844,000 postpaid customers in in. Uh, the last quarter and gained gained yeah right as i say it was two million between the three of them yeah yeah yeah. and the one that didn't do very well was verizon but but at&t actually got more it got eight hundred eighty-four thousand. and if you look at the rate of of revenue growth as well for um t-mobile it's really slowed down so the last quarter it was only about two percent increase which is the slowest it's been if you discount the sprint takeover when it obviously went up a lot for a fourth quarter performance, it's the slowest it's been Organic. since 2015. Right. So mm. this, and I think some of this sort of stuff that Neville Ray's coming out with about, oh, we need to do more. It's too hype. There's not enough innovation. You sense maybe a bit of, you know, two years ago they're probably happy just to sit back and yeah. with their fancy little marketing plans and oh, we can just collect customers. With well, maybe, maybe there's a sense now that well, they're facing why, the same issue that European operators are. Where's the next? Where's well, the that's why I asked ask you the question. From my point of view as a journalist, when someone puts on a public event and the point of it isn't obvious, yeah, then you go, well, what's going on? Because yeah. people will have had a chat. There will be a strategy there. Yeah, and you know, and if someone does an event and it's a product launch, you know, that's what the event's about. That's fine. You don't need to speculate. Then you just comment on whether they think the product's any good or not. Yeah. But if they do an event, it's not a product <clears> launch. It's not. It's not like a quarterlies. It's not a particular thing, but just out of the blue. And that's the same reason why I did that analysis over the Vodafone event. They spent a lot of it talking about fairly vague stuff. And so I immediately, my brain immediately starts going, so what the fuck's going on here? What, what, what was the reason why they bothered to put whatever limited budget they had to spend on getting us in a nice hotel room in Paddington and giving us some nibbles and beers after? Yeah. They, there still has to be a business rationale. I know our companies work. It has to be sold upstream and going, this is why we're doing it. And then... You know, the bloke who signs the checks goes, yeah, fair enough. That seems like a decent use of a few grand. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and I concluded that one of the reasons that they didn't explicitly state but me reading between the lines was that they were 